0: Thank you for that, Jack. Great job. Tonight's Bible reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 26 through 28. Uh, you can follow along on the screen, or there will be a Bible there on the rack in front of you. That's Matthew, chapter 14, verses 26 through 28. Those who are able, if you'll stand at this time for the reading of God's Word. Matthew, chapter 14, Verses twenty six through twenty eight says, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, "It is a spirit," and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, "Be of good cheer; it is I. Be not afraid." And Peter answered him and said, "Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water." Let's pray, dear Lord. I thank you for uh, the great day. Fourteen verses twenty six through twenty eight. And we want to
1: spring from that, jump right in, and get into the the next uh, part of our message, our uh, series on those thoughts, fear, faith, and God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask for your help, your favor. Please guide and direct our words and our thoughts, and we ask for you to uh, meet with us and speak with us, and we don't want to assume, and we certainly don't want to take it for granted, but God, we... Do need you tonight. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Several thoughts about this just as we gave in way of background. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. The first thought that we said in way of introduction, doesn't matter who you are, you have bouts, episodes, seasons of fear. These are the greatest Christians of the New Testament. The Bible says they turned the world upside down for Christ. And yet in this moment the Bible says they cried out for fear. They were so overcome with their fear that it, that it created a, an outburst, if you will. And sometimes people will do the unthinkable when they're afraid. So, nobody is immune to fear, period. And i am to talking about you saw some spooky movie and you couldn't sleep that night or you saw images or whatever, um, because typically that's not the case here. Typically, what this is, is it's the fear of the unknown. It's the fear of the future. It's the fear of your past catching up to you. It's the fear of any number of things. It's the fear of health. It's the fear of broken or strained relationships. It could be anything, but nobody's immune to it. So don't think, well, I, I'm, everybody else has it all together. You know, sometimes we do think that. Sometimes we look at people showing up for church and they always has got it all together. When inside, they're crumbling just like the rest of us, Right? We never think that church is a museum of showpieces of people who've got it all figured out. Because I don't know, if you got it all figured out, I'm so happy for you. But I'm not one of those. Um, we're, we're still, it's still a journey and we're still making progress. So the first thing is everybody's immune for, no one is immune from fear. The second thought is this, but straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is as I be not afraid. And Peter answered Him, said, Lord, if. And so the second thought is this, sometimes the words of God are not sufficient to get us through those times of fear. Now, they should be. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying they are not sufficient. If you, if you only catch that part of it, you're missing what I'm saying. I'm saying sometimes, in spite of the fact that we know the Word of God, God's favor, God's grace, God's, uh, God's sovereign hand in our life being all that we need in spite of the knowledge of that, sometimes that's not enough for us. It's kind of like that we know that God can, but we wonder if God will. Or we like the fact that uh, the, the thing that sometimes is so frustrating about God is I can't see Him. You know, I was t- told recently about a book that, and I think it might be in the bookstore, of Miss Alice, and that's that "Evidence Not Seen." Did we put that in the bookstore? I I, I don't know, but anyway, it's it's one from which I had used as an illustration. Um, Darlene dybler the missionary who was held in a prisoner war camp during the Second World War, but uh, she and her husband. But uh, the, the title of the book is "Evidence Not Seen," and and sometimes we we really want to be able to see something. If there's a tangible uh, expression, then we want to reach out and see that. But none of us have ever seen that. Uh, Nobody has seen God. You've not seen heaven. I'm talking about the physical, literal sense. Um, And sometimes that's a a tough thing for us. And so, in spite of this, in this particular passage and way of background, we understand no one is immune from fear. And secondly, sometimes even though we know better, we still go through these seasons of that. So, in our series on fear, faith, and God, several points. Number one, fear is concerning. And by that, it simply means it captures your attention and doesn't let go. And uh, that's where sometimes we find ourselves. The second thing that we noticed is that fear is conflicting. By that, it uh, steals and directs our focus. And Not only can we not see anything else, our attention is diverted to this one thing, whatever that one thing is. The third thing that we notice is that fear is controlling. That's taken from the passage in Jonah. When the Bible says about Jonah, Jonah rose up to flee from the presence of the Lord, which by the way, every time you read that passage of Scripture, I think, that's so crazy. I'm going to get away from God. Um, Not going to happen. You cannot get away from God. Um, you, you, in fact, the Bible says, David said, Though I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Uh, whither should I flee from thy presence? You cannot get away from God. The Bible says that his ear is not heavy, nor is an arm shortened, that it cannot save. God can reach you no matter where you're at. Um, you, can, you, can, uh, uh, you can resist, but you can't run. Um, and so what happened with, with Jonah was his fear of the, the assignment, could have been. He just didn't want to do it. It could have been the fear of the people, uh, fear of the Assyrians, um, but uh, you, how they might treat him, how they might respond. And, and by the way, that can be an overpowering thing. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? How are they going to treat me? I know how they treated other Jews. I know how they have treated the other uh, Israeli soldiers. I, I know what's happened here. I don't want to go. But that fear controlled him so much that he did the unthinkable. By the way, it's not like Jonah was some guy off the street. Uh, Jonah was a prophet. Jonah was a, if you want to say it, and express it this way, he was a man of God. It, it, it's not the kind of journey that you expected a prophet in the Old Testament to take. And so, again, no one is immune from it. But when we are concerned, when we are conflicted, then we find ourselves being controlled and fear starts making decisions. And that's a bad spot to be in it starts making the decisions for us. And then the fourth thing is fear is crippling. And uh, we're going to move right on from this in, in just a moment. We're going to share a couple couple verses uh, from this. When, I, when we say fear is crippling, it means you can't move. Um, for a, for a, uh, the, when we lived in Southern California for eight years, I was a, a lifeguard. Can you imagine such a thing? And uh, uh, during the summer months, we operated, a, some of you are smiling, I'm not sure why you're smiling, um, but anyway, um, so during the summer months, we operated a daycare program with several hundred young people, some of you are still smiling, but that's okay. Um, and so we would, uh, we would uh, run these kids through the pool and, and uh, we, we'd give them their uh, uh, water safety test. And so um, they could go into the deep end of the pool where we had the diving board. But they had to be able to pass this. I remember one time there was this little guy, and we, we would start with the younger groups in and, and the day camper and kindergarten up through sixth grade. And I, so uh, uh, we had this little group, and uh, this kindergarten boy steps up there. And so I'm asking him the questions. First of all, you try to verbalize everything. C- can you swim? Oh, yeah, I can swim. And the guy told me, he said... Uh, He said, mister, he said, we have a pool this big and we've got a diving board. I swim all the time. And so um, he, I I said, are you sure? And he said, watch this. And and normally that's not how you teach. Can you swim? Uh, Watch this is what they do on those redneck YouTube videos, you know. (laughs) Watch this, famous last words. And uh, so he said, watch this. And he steps off into the deep end. Now, it it wasn't terrible. I think it was 12 feet there where the diving board was. But deep enough, right? Especially for a kindergarten. And so he says, watch this. And he steps off and he goes straight to the bottom and he looks up at me from the bottom. And I'll never forget it. Um, the, it's, uh, the statue of limitations have since passed, so it's all good now. So I just left. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I, I, I saw him and he looked up at me and he had this most helpless look on him. So what did you do? I, well, I jumped in. And I pulled him up and I, I said... I thought you could swim, and he said, I thought I could, and he was just, just standing there on the very 12 feet of water down at the very bottom, kindergarten kid, and I was fired the next day, but anyway, um, so I brought him up, and, but I always notice this when people got fear, they, they can't move. Sometimes one of the tests we do is we bring them out to the, uh, the, before they could dive or jump off the diving board, we ha- c- can you jump off the diving board? It was always amazing. You'd see them, oh yeah, I can do that. And they'd get right out there. And they'd stand there for the longest time and everybody's behind them. You know, this guy's behind him who does it all the time, it's like he does it for a living. You know, he's going to do a backflip or a gainer or whatever the kind of thing is. And he's, you know, he's right there. And, and this guy's up here and he's just kind of looking around. And he's frozen, right? Uh, my brother was telling me um, that when he was going through his airborne training and, and uh, he, he wanted to, met, by the way, as he neared the end of his career, he finally made it where he made 100 live jumps and, and uh, of course, it's always helpful that they call them live jumps because you, anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm drifting there, but, uh, but he told me, he said when, he remembers the first time he was up, there were several of the guys, they just froze, You know, they're sending you out of that plane. And by the way, that has never appealed to me. I mean, I I know some of you are thinking, oh, that'd be awesome. And I'm saying, have at it, okay? I don't mind flying, but I don't want to jump out. I mean, give me the seat. When they say, flight attendants, you know, get in your seats. We're experiencing turbulence. Put that seat belt on. Man, I'm grabbing every one I can. You don't have to tell me twice, right? Much less open the door, see you, and jump out. But my brother told me, he said, a number of guys, they just froze. They did all of their training, you know, their simulated jumps and all those different kinds of things with cables and the towers. And that's the only thing I ever did was the simulated jumps with the cables and towers. And that's, that was enough for me. I said, okay, I'm good. There you go. And he told me, he said, as soon as they got there, the instructor, once they got there and, the fro- and he froze, they didn't wait. You couldn't wait. So what did they do? They just shoved them out. Just shove you out the door. Like boom, boom, you know. So I guess the next guy's watching waiting for it to get shoved. That's why I'm never going up with those guys. I don't want to get shoved out the plane. But, uh, but imagine the, the fear that you have. And that fear can be crippling and cause you to be unable to move. I read a story recently about a, a commander. In fact, he was commander of the, the entire training base at Coronado for the Navy SEALs. He himself had been a SEAL for three decades. And they were making one of their last jumps with the Navy SEALs. And uh, they were in Southern California. And as he, they, they had a rule, which makes perfect sense. You never open your chute if anybody's above you. You, you, just, you just don't because, uh, you know, you can hurt, injure them, or they've got to get an opportunity to get out of their way. And there was a young recruit. This is the commander. He's a, he's a full bird colonel. And this guy underneath him, he opens his chute, and the impact of that as you're going through the air, because remember the rate of descent is, is astronomical, hit him and he said it's, it's, it's the same equivalent as an airbag going off in your face. And he said it almost rendered him unconscious and then he went into a, a spin and he was trying to get his bearings back and the entire time he's describing this as free falling and you're, you're out of control. You got to figure out, and I'm just thinking, this is why I'm never going up to do that these kind of things happen. They really do. So now I'm telling you all this in our next activity, by the way. We're going to go skydiving. And, uh, but, it, but then he told the told story. He said he got caught in the draft with the chute, and so when he pulled his chute, it wrapped around both legs. Now, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm probably not explaining everything. How many of you have ever jumped? Okay, so several of you know what I'm talking. We got three of you. I don't mean like off the porch. I see... <laughs> There's five children raising their hands, okay? (laughs) If you have done that, you are my hero. But there's three adults that are raised. Anyway, so his chute wrapped around his legs and it wouldn't open. So he's falling now head first with his primary chute wrapped around his legs. And he said he's he's going down right like this. And he said the only thing he could do is pull his reserve. He pulled his reserve at 1,500 feet. He said as soon as he did, it ripped every muscle here everything. He had surgeries and all kinds of things. And I don't know what happened to the guy who opened the chute up underneath him, but I bet he got a mouthful, a earful. And so, but but that guy said that in, in telling that story, he said, when people panic and fear comes in, it cripples them. And most of the time, somebody making that type of jump with those scenarios and those circumstances, they don't survive. Because the overwhelming fear, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Yeah, you are. Because you don't think rationally. And you don't think, what have I got to do to correct this? Now, I don't, I'm, again, those of you that have jumped, you know far more about it than I do. I'm only telling you things that I've read and stories that have been told to me and books I read and all that kind of stuff. And that's good enough for me, especially if they got pictures. I'm good. But, but to hear that and to read that, I'm thinking, that's amazing. And the only thing that got that guy out was the fact that he'd been doing this for three decades. He'd been going up with soldiers over and over and over. He'd been telling them over and over. Now, if this happens, this is what you do. If you ever find yourself fall, free-falling and you've already your shoot has wrapped around your legs and, you know, it's kind of a, on that good-bad scale, that's bad. This is what you do. And in that moment, you can't freak and you can't fear. You have to do what's right. You got one shot. He's got to control his body and turn it around mid-flight as he's falling at an incredible rate, and he knows I've got one shot at this. Now, that's life and death. Most of the decisions that we freak out over, they're not life and death, but they're similar in that regard because we get in a panic and we start doing things that make no sense. And so that's why fear becomes crippling. Sometimes, you express it this way, I just don't know what to do. You're the guy free-falling with the chute wrapped around your legs, and you're getting ready to make the dumbest decision in your life. People make bad decisions when they're terrified. They just do. Would you, would you, would you agree with me that Jonah didn't make the right call? I mean, yeah, I, sure, great stories to tell your kids. Hey, let me tell you about the whale. Come on, it's Uncle Jonah. He's going to talk about the whale. This is great. You know, every time they had a family reunion, sit around the campfire with the Boy Scouts or whatever it was. You know, it was awesome. Let me tell you, what was it like? And man, when he puked you up, wasn't that awesome? And of course, he's still bearing the marks of a bleached out body. I mean, because most, by most accounts, that's what he would have looked at. It would have been horrible, horrible. He continued to bear the marks of that three days in the belly of the whale for the rest of his life. I mean, he didn't have to tell anybody what happened to him. He was a walking pictorial. Look at me. This is what happens. Ooh, well-baked. You know, know, so he could tell that story. But that decision was made in a time of great fear. And so for you and I, when those moments of fear, like the disciples... Now, by the way, Peter's decision to say, hey, let me step out on the water. I don't know that I would have done that. That would have not, you know, because I'm thinking, why do I want to leave this boat? I mean, I know it's getting tossed around, and I know we got a little seasick, and I need some Dramamine or whatever they had back then, the equivalent back then. I don't know. But, but he is sitting there getting tossed around, and he's thinking, why well, do I don't want to leave this and go to that? I mean, it's crazy. But he did. And if you and I are not careful, when fear comes in, we do dumb things because fear is crippling. It's concerning, it's conflicting, it's controlling, it's crippling. So, that leads us to the next thought, in fear and faith and God. And the first thought is this. Notice on the screen there in front of you, David. By the way, David, and I always want to be careful how I say these things because I know I'm going to see him in heaven one day. And uh, David was a tough dude, you know. I mean, you, you ever think about David? Some of his prayers, I was reading through the Psalms recently. And uh, David's prayers were, I mean, they were awesome. Well, they have to be, they're in the Bible, it's the Word of God, so we know they came under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But beside, aside from that, David would sometimes say, and, and I'm paraphrasing here in English, wipe out my enemy, kill him, devour him, and everything that he has. And God said, that's a man after my own heart. <laughs> I'm thinking, really? <laughs> um, you know, let another man take his office. You know, may, may his days be few. And I'm thinking, those are David's prayers. Now, a lot of times David's prayers were, Lord, save me. Lord, help me. God, deliver me. God, be merciful. Many prayers that we, can, that we can relate to and make sense. But in this one, this is David long after the fact of David and Goliath. He makes this statement. Notice, notice what he's saying here. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. But the rhetorical question that he asked at the beginning is the one that I I want us to grasp here in the few moments that we have tonight, and that is this, faith is conceding. See, all those things that we said about fear being controlling and crippling and all those different things, one thing that faith is, is it's conceding. Now, conceding, just for sake of illustration, sometimes when someone loses an election, they will sometimes readily concede. Sometimes, as it's been apparent in recent presidential elections, people are slow to concede. Got to wait till every vote is counted, you know, or whatever, you know, in the hanging shads and all those different things from bygone eras. you understand what I mean? And, and so sometimes they, they want to wait in case there's any. But faith is conceding. And what David says, if I could say it this way, I don't have anybody else. I don't, there's no... Listen, for the child of God, there is no plan B without God. It's not like I've got God and if that fails... You know, many times we see the, the sticker that says, if all else fails, pray. But the Christian doesn't have a backup plan. You don't have a backup plan. You can't go through life and say, well, I'm trusting God. If that doesn't work out, I got my parents all call." Man, I'm, I'm praying and I've got my confidence in the Lord, but if, you know, if that... That falls through, well, I'm going to wing it. Now, you you can't go through life that way. So David gets to this place later in life, and he says, okay, I concede this. Now, to concede, typically, in in the English language, means to admit defeat. But that's not what this is. David's not saying, I'm toast. In the original Hebrew, it would have been that word. He's not saying, I'm shot, it's over, it's finished. He's saying... I, I have God, and I don't need anything else. He's saying, I have the Lord working on my behalf, and everything's going to be okay. It, it doesn't mean that it's always going to be perfect. It doesn't mean there's not going to be giants. It doesn't mean there's not going to be lions and bears and tigers. Oh, my, um, even though we switched that up, but it was David's fault. He a lion and bear. He forgot about the tiger. But uh, come on, stay with me tonight. But when all of those things come, you've you got to stop for a moment. You've got to say, I concede. God is enough, and I don't need anybody else. Who do I have in heaven but thee? There there is no one on earth that I desire but thee. And so we look at all those things about fear, particularly uh, that it's concerning, conflicting, and controlling and crippling, but then once you get past that and you see all of those things that we've created because of that fear, you understand this, faith is conceding. You see, I think in in my heart, in our heart, the average Christian, there are so many things in life that we really never have given to God, even though we've said we have. I think a lot of times we come down to the altar, hey, listen, I I know that I have done this. There have been many times in my life when I've come down to the altar and I've given God something and I picked it up and took it back. I'm sure I'm not alone. There are times when I've said, now, Lord, please, I'm giving you this. I'm trusting you. Please take this and may your perfect will be accomplished and all the great things to say. And I'm not meaning that in a facetious sort of way. I mean, I, I prayed that and I, I really thought that I meant it. I, I thought I was, uh, my, my motives were good and, and I was intent and, and serious but, but I know that I picked it back up and took it home with me because the very next day I was thinking about it. So I, did I really give it to him? But faith is saying, God, you've got this. And I always use this parallel. You do that with salvation. Why can't we do it with anything else? Nobody, if, if you're here tonight, you profess to be a Christian. Nobody here leaves tonight saying, well, I, I, I'm trusting Christ for my salvation plus. Be, you know this. If you know anything about your faith, you know that when you say the word plus, you just made, if I could say it this way, the contract is now null and void because it's not plus anything. You didn't add anything to it. You didn't finish it. You didn't complete it. I was talking to a couple this week that we were able to lead to the Lord and, and, and I, I told them this, I, I, we were talking about baptism, we were talking about church membership, putting money in the offer plate, all those different things. Those are nice things, but you can't say, this is going to help shore up what God just did for me because the moment you do that, you've, you've just washed away what God was doing because it's not by Him and you, it's by Him alone. Everybody understands that, right? then why is it about our simple faith, about everything else in life, we pull back? I don't understand it. And while I'm saying that to you, I'm also speaking it to me. Because I I am trusting absolutely nothing but the finished work of Christ to get me to heaven. I have no hope. I have no help apart from God. I know that. But what about those other things? See, do you think God just wanted to save you? Some people, for instance, when they talk about theistic evolution, God created the heavens and the earth and then took off. And I'm paraphrasing there, but basically He left it to run its course. And so, He, he gave it the start and said, off you go. And uh, I'm making a little bit light of it, but that's theistic evolution. God got the ball rolling and then poof, here we are. And it, the Bible's very clear that's not the case. But nonetheless, sometimes in the Christian life, we view God almost that way. Like, well, I know you saved me and you're going to take me to heaven when I die and have at it. But that's not God wants to be engaged and involved in every aspect of our life. Everything. From the time we're a little child, I was thinking about Jack up there playing the piano. And buddy, you stick with it, man. I took piano lessons for half of a year and I told my mom, my mom played the piano for many years in church as church pianist. And I said, that's it, I'm done, I want to play ball. Well, you see how well that's worked out. I'm not playing ball so much. But you, you that play these instruments, you stick with it, use your talents and time and your gifts for the Lord. But God says, hey, would you be willing to concede and let me have whatever that fear is? I don't know what your fear is tonight, but God says, let me have it. I don't know what it is that's, that's crippling you. I don't know what it is that's controlling you. I don't know what it is that's causing great conflict in your heart. I don't know what it is that is concerning you tonight. But God says, will you say, as David said, said late in life, whom have I in heaven but thee? Then one more verse. Let me, let me show you this before we... and Boy, this is so good um, because it's one of the greatest verses in the Bible. You know, in fact, it's one of those champion verses. I mean, we we all quote this sometimes to ourselves, and we say it when it seems like the winds are assailing against us, and that is this, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And so, if we understand that, it's it's not that we have the ability, because you have to remember the prepositional phrase right there in the middle, through Christ, through Christ, through Christ, through Christ, through Christ. Uh, last night, we were out to eat, and our waitress had a tattoo, and uh, um, it was similar to mine, but uh, just seeing if you're listening, uh, mine was a different color, um, it, and it said right here, in Christ alone. That was, that was the tattoo, in Christ alone. So I asked about it, and she, she gave her testimony of salvation, said it was her grandmother's favorite song, and in Christ, but by the way, I'm not for tattoos. I think the Bible's pretty clear on that, but if you've got to get one, that's not a bad one. Um, That's what I have across my back, but uh, just seeing if you're listening, okay, with a great big phoenix, but uh, anyway, um, you guys are so, so good tonight. Anyway, and so, (laughs) I'm sorry, I got to get going here, but we understand this. I got to bring it back around. Help me, somebody. When the Word of God tells us this, and I, I, I was looking at that, so I began to talk to her about that in Christ alone. I asked her what it meant to her. What does that mean? And she said, it was my grandmother's favorite song. And she said, then I realized this, everything I can do in life is through Christ alone. And she told her testimony. She was hoping to go to the mission field and she had a, she had a good testimony of salvation. But, uh, but I, I thought about that, particularly in regards to this passage of scripture because I don't know what God's will is for anybody's life, but I know this, God says, I don't want you to go alone. I don't want you, I don't want you to let fear control, conflict, consume, cripple. I don't want it taking charge of your life. And every single person in here, you're not immune from it. There have been times in your life, seasons in your life when you've let it. It's called the shots. I don't know if I got enough money. I don't know if he's going to like me. I don't know if she's going to like me. I don't know if our marriage is going to make it. I don't know if my children are going to turn out okay. I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep my job. I don't know if I, I, I'm going to lose my home. And it, 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 hey, can I go on? I don't know if my health is going to hold up. I don't know if my insurance is going to pay. I don't know if my copay pay is going to be too much. And I don't know if the car is going to uh, last in time uh, another year or two before we can afford to get another one. I, I'm preaching to you, right? I'm telling you where we all live. And I, it doesn't matter whether you've got plenty of money in the bank and your 401k is fine and you're, you're flushed with funds for retirement or you're sitting there thinking, even at this point in life, you haven't put the first penny away for retirement. You're thinking, but what in the world am I going to do? Who's going to take care of me? All of that, every day of your life, conflicts, controls, consumes, and cripples and causes us to make terrible decisions. And God says, can I have that? You can have my sin, but I'm going to keep all that worry because it does me so well. I'm going to keep all that anxiety and all that anxiousness. I'll just hang on to it. No, no, no. God says, understand this, you can do all things through Christ. And the second thought is David's, David's prayer, who do I have? Who am I going to turn to? Where will I turn but to the Lord? Shall we stand? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed very, very quickly. Just, just a quick way of invitation here tonight. Have your fears taken advantage? Have they controlled? Have they crippled? Have they conflicted? If they have, you don't have to go through life like that. God doesn't want you to. You say, Pastor, it's not that easy. No, I never said it was. It is simply yielding. It is saying, Lord, you can have it. I've got to concede that it is all His. Every problem that has ever existed in my life has always been God's problem. Why? Because He's my Father. You and my dad always wanted to take care of me when I was a child. But to a far greater degree, my Heavenly Father does for me. And He does for you as well. Why don't you concede that and let Him have it? If God spoke to your heart tonight, would you mind Him? Just in way of invitation, as the piano begins to play, maybe you need to come. Maybe you need to say, Lord, there's something I've been dragging. And man, it, it, it has hit me every single day and every waking moment, and it's that constant. And Lord, I, I want you to take it. I don't, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to keep tugging that along and wondering and hoping. I just want to trust. Many folks are coming. If you're not able to come, you'd like to pray there at your seat, please do. But never miss an opportunity to do business with God who wants to do business with us. trust Him. That seems so easy. Only trust Him. Only trust Him now. Several folks praying. I hope you're minding the Lord tonight. You may look this way. Everything that I said to you tonight, as is so often the case, was for me too. I never think that, oh, pastor's got this all figured out. No, no, no. This is, this is for all of us. It's where we live. And the Lord says, would you do what David did, even though it was later, and that is concede. It's like coming to a place where you say the battle is the Lord's. Yeah, it's a great verse. No, really, it is. The battle is the Lord's. Whatever the battle is, it doesn't matter. Whether it's soldiers, whether it's stress, it is the Lord's. Thank you so much for being here tonight. We're going to do this very, very quickly because I'm going to have our ministry workers meeting right down here in about three minutes. Um, if you have children in the nursery, if you go ahead and get those uh, so that my wife can head to the house and start getting some desserts laid out. But I, everybody here tonight is welcome to come. You say, well, I didn't bring anything. You weren't supposed to, okay? This, uh, this is all... Um, on us and a couple of the ladies I think have made